Okay, if you've got a Bible, if you'd like to open it uh, at Mark chapter 11, we're going to be, shall I move this down a bit, something doesn't sound quite right, we'll just keep talking while you fix it. Um, We're going to be looking at the passage where Jesus does enter Jerusalem, uh, and then I'm actually going to focus on a bit just after that. So for those of you who are not normally here on a Sunday, uh, or haven't been here for a while, we are working through Mark's gospel in the period, or through part of Mark's gospel in the period as we, as we move up to Easter. Um, so today I'm going to look at the, the chapter that deals with, with Palm Sunday. I'm actually going to look at an incident that happens just after that primarily. But let's read it. Um, we're going to read chapter 11 up to verse 25. Um, the first 11 verses, just listen. They won't appear on the screen because I just want this to, um, I want us to imagine ourselves in the scene as we read it. And if you're peering at a screen, it's not always easy to do that. So um, let's start at Matthew, uh, sorry, <laughs> Mark chapter 11 and verse 1. It says this As they, that's Jesus and the disciples, approached Jerusalem, and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back immediately or shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches that they'd cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. And then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. And on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and wouldn't allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers? The chief priests and teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city, In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. 
Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and doesn't doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Amen. So, first of all, so there are two, this is kind of a game, this this chapter is, or this passage is a kind of, a passage of two halves. Um, The first half, we have Jesus entering Jerusalem as a king. There's no doubt here that the imagery here is meant to be one of kingship. Jesus comes into Jerusalem as a king on a cult. And we worship Jesus as a king. I believe that Mark is clearly here saying that this is the messianic king. That's why they talk about um, the kingdom of our father David. So we have this tremendous entry into Jerusalem. And what does he do at the end of the day? He goes back to Bethany. It's slightly bizarre. And we then have, following it, a rather bizarre incident where, with the cursing of the fig tree, which is what I'm, probably, I'm going to focus on this morning. Um, but I just want to make the point, first of all, that that Palm Sunday entry is the entry of a king. This is the king, God's anointed Messiah king, entering Jerusalem. Um, and we will, we will talk more about the outcome from all of that next weekend. Now, this passage about the fig tree is a frequently misunderstood passage on all sorts of levels. So let's start off by looking at what actually happens in it. So on Sunday, that's today effectively, Jesus has made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and he follows it with a look round the temple. By this time, it's late. And the reason that they, go, that, they, that they go back to Bethany is actually because there are probably so many people in Jerusalem for the Passover that there is simply no room. Um, so they have to go back to wherever they were lodging in Bethany. Huge numbers of people preparing for the Passover. And Jesus and his disciples have probably got friends in Bethany, which is a village a couple of miles away. It just tells you the road to it there, beg your pardon, Um, on the Mount of Olives. So they return to Bethany for the night. Uh, And Bethany, we believe, is a village on the Mount of Olives, a couple of miles away from the temple site in Jerusalem. So you can see the temple site there, and you can see over to the right of of the map there, the Mount of Olives, and Bethpage and Bethany are down slightly to the south there, as far as we know. And then on Monday morning, Jesus and his disciples are coming into Jerusalem from Bethany. Jesus is hungry, and he spots a fig tree in full leaf. Normally, if a fig tree's got leaves on it at that time of year, there would be some fruit on it, probably unripe fruit, um, but the leaves don't come until the fruit started growing. 
Now, all sorts of commentators have all sorts of different, you know, how academic theologians can be so expert on the agriculture of figs, I don't know. But there are any number of different explanations of this. So if you've heard a different one, don't get too concerned. But um, I'm going with the one that seems to be the majority view. So when Jesus gets to this fig tree, he can't find any fruit. So what does he do? He curses the tree. I would say, as you do, but I don't think I've ever done it. And then he and the disciples uh, duly arrive in Jerusalem, where he goes to the temple and proceeds to drive out those who are selling doves for sacrifices, those who are changing Roman money into money that can be used to pay the temple tax, and then he stops people carrying stuff through the temple courts, which they were probably using as a shortcut. And then Jesus starts talking, or teaching, and talking about how the temple should be a house of prayer for all the nations, or the Gentiles, not a den of robbers, a reference to Jeremiah 11. And that really upsets the scribes and the Pharisees. But then that evening, Jesus and his disciples leave the city again and return the following morning. And as they're coming back into Jerusalem on Tuesday morning, they're rapidly becoming Jerusalem commuters, Peter notices that the fig tree has withered and died right down to its roots, which is interesting because a fig tree is a proper tree with a trunk. It's not a kind of weed. Um, And Jesus' response to that is, have faith. Whoever says to this mountain, the Mount of Olives, be taken up and thrown into the sea, probably the Dead Sea, which can be seen from the Mount of Olives, without doubting, but believing in his heart, will see it happen. And then he goes on to talk about praying in belief and forgiveness. So, what on earth is this all about? Well, the fact that the temple episode is sandwiched between two episodes involving a fig tree suggests that there are different ways, I think, of looking at the same thing. Now, this passage is frequently misunderstood in a number of ways. Bertrand Russell... That's dating me, isn't it? Bertrand Russell was a famous atheist in the middle of the last century, so I have to find someone a bit more modern to say this now. But Bertrand Russell said that it showed Jesus as being bad-tempered. A number of other writers have made similar comments. So, is Jesus just having a bad Monday? Has he forgotten to have breakfast? Gets grumpy when there's no snack available on the tree? and then takes it out on the temple stall holder. Is it it just a bad day at the office? I think we'd probably all be agreed that the answer to that is good. Um, That's not why Mark, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, includes this account in his narrative. It certainly doesn't show gentle Jesus, meek and mild, but actually I don't think the rest of the New Testament does either. Jesus is speaking here about God's people, Israel. And he's doing it, I think, in a way that has some salutary lessons for us, the church. First of all, throughout the Old Testament, the fig tree is a picture of everything being well in Israel. 
the mentions of fig trees with fruit on usually refer to good times of peace in the nation. And the references to the lack of fruit on a fig tree all refer to bad times, usually when God's judgment is close. Now, as far as this fig tree is concerned, and I'm going with the, common, the, the, the thing that I think sounds most credible, okay, I'm not going to go with some of the rather fanciful explanations of leaves and figs. So, at this stage, so I'm told, and so I've read, we would be about six weeks away from having edible figs. Um, and the, the, you have two lots of figs that appear on a fig tree. Um, the bland fruit would have appeared on the fig tree in late March, and they were the early figs that preceded the main crop of real figs in, in mid-August to October. But if there were no figs on the tree by this time, then that tree wouldn't bear any fruit at all that year, just figs, uh, just leaves. <sighs> so that's, that's the first bit. Secondly, Jesus goes into the temple where he clears out the traders another frequently misunderstood passage. It's often read as an attack on commerce and business. I can remember, it's interesting, Richard's here this morning, I don't think he was there on that particular occasion, but I can remember an occasion in a youth group Bible study, um, which you'll, you'll realise was quite a few years ago now, um, it was in the late 1970s, where we were looking at this passage um, and one of the, the leaders of our youth group said, yeah, that's the reason I could never work in business um, and talked about how terrible the world of business was and wasn't a place for a Christian to be. That is actually absolute rubbish. Um, and I wish he were still alive to tell him so. This is not what it's about at all. Business, the world of business is an honourable life if we live it under God. We would all starve if it were not for commerce. Um, I spent 35 years working in business before I worked for the church. And if I thought business was ungodly, I wouldn't have done that. So let me spell this out just very briefly. Jesus is not condemning business here. Okay? He is not condemning business. And if anyone ever says that to them, you need to be all over them like a dog on a rabbit. Because it's simply not what this passage is saying. Okay? Have I made the point? Good. So, what is it all about? Well, first of all, Jesus is most likely in the court of the Gentiles. The court of the Gentiles is the bit on that diagram which says Gentiles courtyard. This red thing isn't... Where's the red thing gone? There we are. I had it there. I'll give up. The Gentiles courtyard is the bit that says Gentiles courtyard. Okay? Um, it's the bit round the outside there, the largest part of the temple building there. And as you can see, that court surrounds the temple itself. It was the furthest that Gentiles were allowed to go, people who were not from the Jewish nation were allowed to go in the temple, or within the temple precincts. And the words, house of prayer for all the nations, also means for all the Gentiles, all those who are not Jews. The word, the Greek word, you have some Greek, you like a bit of Greek, do you? 
Okay, we'll have a bit of Greek. The, the Greek word ethne, which is translated both nation and Gentile in our New Testament. It means both. Um, it's the word we get ethnic from. Um, so, you, when, whenever you see the word Gentiles, you can substitute that for nations. The, the translators have made a decision there, uh, and it can be either of those things. Uh, and the same applies in Hebrew, but we won't get into that. So, this place which was supposed to be bearing the fruit of prayer for those outside had become a place of self-serving trade. And the money changers weren't, it wasn't um, kind of can you break down a fiver type of money changers. The reason you have these money changers is that they had to pay, a, the, the Jewish people had to pay a temple tax and they had to pay it with temple coins. Holy coins, if you like. Because the Roman money was profane and dirty and unclean. And so you had these people who made a living changing Roman money into temple money uh, and adding a bit on top. And it's that misuse of a place that should have been a place of prayer that Jesus condemns, not commerce. Okay? He's condemning the fact that this should be a place of prayer and they've turned it into a place of self-serving, inward-looking trade. The very place that should be outward-looking has become self-serving and inward-looking. And the fig tree? Well, this is only one of two destruction miracles that Jesus ever performs. Anyone think what the other one was? Well done. The Gadarene or Gezerene swine. So there are only two miracles of destruction that Jesus performs. No, I won't. I was about to go on a slight diversion there. The children are in. We need to be brief this morning. If, it's not because it's not suitable for children. But So if the fig tree stands for Israel, Jesus is looking for the fruit that would be expected from such a display of leaves, but he finds nothing except rather a fine display of leaves. That's what's going on with this fig tree. He's looking for fruit, the fruit of prayer for the nations, and all he finds is the leaves of commerce and ritual. The fruit that would be expected simply isn't there. So he curses it. Now, ultimately, the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple are about the same thing. They are about the impending judgment of God that would come upon Israel, upon Jerusalem and the temple. It was all destroyed. Israel, uh, sorry, Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed after a three-year siege by the Romans in AD 70. Many of us would argue that some of those passages that people think are referring to the second coming are actually referring to the destruction of the temple, but that's a whole different topic. So, what do we take away from Jesus' bad day? That's not to say that I don't think Jesus is going to return. I do, okay? Sorry, I probably left that one hanging in the air. 
Um, I'm talking about uh, particularly Mark 13. So, what do we take away from Jesus' bad day at the office? Well, first of all, if Israel was judged because of its lack of concern for and prayer for those outside, where do we stand? Are we more concerned with God's blessings than with his kingdom? Are we more concerned with the stuff of Christianity than with God's kingdom? I've got a note here in my notes to say Christian music industry, which was probably an excuse for me to have a rant about the Christian music industry, which I won't do. Um, But are we more concerned with who is the most popular Christian musician of the day? I personally haven't a clue. I don't like Christian music. But I don't like contemporary Christian music. Um, Are we more concerned with that sort of stuff than we are with the kingdom of God? Are we more, I, mean, I can remember as a young Christian, um, you didn't have a little Bible like this. When I was a young Christian, you went out and you got the biggest Bible you could find. And you also got a special harvest time case for it that you could put it in which had a zip all the way round. Are we more concerned with looking right? Actually, this Bible is just as effective as any other Bible I've ever had, you know. Um, and it also fits much more easily into a bag or even in my pocket if I'm wearing a coat. So are we more concerned with how we look and the outward form of what we're doing? Are we more concerned with the leaves than we are with the fruit? Oh, that was my final question. Are we more concerned with having leaves or real fruit? It's very easy for us to get into looking good while being thoroughly rotten underneath. And I've been guilty of it. Well, the days when I used to carry a big Bible around were days when I was quite guilty of it. Um, It's probably why I have problems with my right arm nowadays, because of all that carrying. Um, But are we more concerned with how it looks, with the stuff of Christianity, with whether we've been to this festival or that conference, I can remember someone once complaining to me that we didn't sing contemporary enough songs on a Sunday morning. You know, some of the songs we're singing are five years old. Yes, they are. And some of the songs the church has sung are 800 years old. Um, Be Thou My Vision, for example, written by St. Patrick. How did I get there? Anyway, so three questions, and I will close on these. So, first of all, if Israel was judged because of its lack of concern for and prayer for those outside, how do we stand? Are we concerned for those outside? Are we a house of prayer for many nations? Are we more concerned with God's blessings than we are with his kingdom? Are we more concerned with the day-to-day business of changing money and having the right sacrifices than we are with being men and women who serve the living God? And are we more concerned with having a good show of leaves and everything looking really good? Loads of programs. Um, 
No, I won't get into that one. But we, as the church, we can, I just got into it, haven't I? We can easily end up thinking that loads of activity and events are what we need. There's huge pressure to have events, especially when all the other churches are putting on Facebook all their events. And you think, no, we're not actually going to do that. We're not going to exhaust God's people with activity. We want to be men and women who are concerned with praying and seeking God for those around us. We want to have fruit, not leaves. It's very easy to go for the leaves. That doesn't mean to say we don't have a decent website. We do, actually. Um, And it doesn't mean to say we don't do stuff. We do do stuff. But actually, we need to be more concerned with the fruit than we are with the leaves. Let's pray, and I'll hand back to John. Father, as we go into the week when we consider what it meant for the Lord Jesus to die and to rise again, we want to pray that you will be at work in each one of us as well. Lord, I want to pray that you will make each of us and us collectively as a church of your people, people who are concerned with the fruit of your kingdom, with seeing men and women transformed and touched by you, with seeing you ruling and reigning in our own lives, with knowing your life at work within us. We want to be more concerned with that than we are with the outward show of what a good people we are. Lord, will you strip away those aspects of our lives that are just leaves? And Lord, we don't want just to be people who are bland fruit, the kind of first crop of figs, but we want to be the, the ripe, mature, fruitful figs. And Lord, we know that takes time. We heard Farai bring that word, that victory comes through a process. Lord, we want to be people who bear that mature fruit, not who simply cook up stuff to look good. And Lord, will you make us a church who are active, engaged, and occupied in touching the lives of those around us in this town, in this nation, and in this world. Father, I just want to pray that your word will have its way in our hearts. Will you speak to each one of us this week, I pray. Will you stir each of us this week, and will you reveal yourself to us this week as we move into that time of Easter where it can it can be a bit, bit bizarre, the mixture of chocolate with death. Um, but Father, we want to pray that we will, each of us, see something this week of King Jesus, the one who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, the one who arrived as a king, was crucified as a criminal, and who rose from the dead as God. Father, will you reveal the Lord Jesus to us this week, I pray. Amen.